Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we look at how our environments can fill up pollution and how we measure and clean it up. Now, dogs are great companions, but they can also give early warning signs for environmental pollution. As can snakes, key predators in urban environments and wetlands can aggregate up pollutants in their ecosystem. Plus, we find out about an easier way to clean up after a large mess using a special nano sponge. Dogs are often viewed as a person's best friend. And whether it be saving someone from a burning wreckage or standing lonesome vigil by a wounded owner, dogs and a lot of other pets are well renowned for looking after their companions. And that's certainly true. Now, researchers like Catherine Wise, a PhD candidate from North Carolina State University, have been diving into a way to help use the companionship of pets like dogs to help monitor the health of not just the pets themselves, but also their owners by studying their exposure in in the environment to a bunch of different chemicals. Now, in urban environments, people are exposed passively a lot to different types of chemicals. And most of these chemicals are benign or harm humans in ways that aren't necessarily damaging. But there's certain categories of chemicals that can lead to long-term human negative impacts and also for animals as well. And these can be you know, broken down into a couple of different categories. Now, some of the most toxic and commonly found chemicals that end up in human urine and blood are things like pesticides, flame retardants, and phthalates, which are all found in all kinds of things in the modern world, whether it be from plastic food packaging to personal care products. But the big problem is actually figuring out a simple way to measure the levels of the chemical exposure. I mean, yes, you can take blood samples and you can measure people's urine, but it takes a long time to do that and it's difficult to do a long-term study. So researchers are looking for ways to measure the exposure to these kind of chemicals in a less invasive and simpler method rather than taking a lot of blood samples. So that's where pets come in. Now, dogs spend a lot of time with humans, so they're not necessarily a bad way to measure exposure for humans in an environment. And dogs also are pretty easy and useful at carrying around objects. For example, I don't know, some dog tags. And so that's what the researchers developed, like Catherine Wise at North Carolina State University. They made some dog tags made of silicon, a special kind of silicon that helps measure, in this case over a five-day period, all kinds of exposure to environmental toxicants. Now, they actually gave these silicon dog tags to the dogs, as well as their human companions, in this case, around 30 of them, over a five-day period in July 2018. Now, the humans, of course, didn't wear the dog tags, but they wore wristbands instead, where the dogs wore their tags on their collars. The reason why they use these silicon monitoring devices because they're new, but still inexpensive and very effective at measuring all kinds of exposure to toxins in the human environment. And that's a really useful thing. Now, since human disease is caused by exposure to these environmental factors and also disease in animals, putting them on the humans and the dogs makes a lot of sense. Now, when the researchers analysed the data from the wristbands and the dog tags in these three main categories we talked about, they actually found a really strong correlation between what the humans were exposed to and what the dogs were exposed to. And to confirm this, of course, to act as a double check on the silicon monitoring devices, they also checked out using the urine and the blood of the humans and the dogs to look for presence of 
organophased esters found in some flame retardants, and they did confirm that. Now, what was incredible about these results for key researchers like Heather Stapleton and Ronnie Rochelle Garcia-Johnson, who is a re distinguished professor and director of environmental analysis, was one of the co-authors of this paper, pointed out that it's, it's quite clear that home environments contribute strongly just to the daily exposure to chemical contaminants. And the other reason why looking at this in pets like dogs is incredibly important is if there's a lot of home-based exposure, dogs are exposed to a lot of that just as humans are. But in timescale sense, a disease that could take decades to impact a human might affect a dog in one to two years. So you can actually look for effects much, much earlier. And that way, the dogs act as an early warning sign in more ways than one. So if there's a way to correlate dog disease with their exposure over time, we can make predictions and give guidance for human health as well. And of course, if you have time up your sleeve, which you do in the human case, you might be able to mitigate the exposure, not just for the humans, but also the dogs. So it makes the dogs into a powerful sentinel or guardian or watchdog to help watch against environmental exposure to toxic chemicals. There's some great research from North Carolina State University of dogs helping humans live safely, published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Now another example of animals acting as an early warning size for environmental exposure comes from Australia, Western Australia to be precise. Researchers at Curtin University in Perth, such as Damien Leetooth, have been studying one of the most deadly predators in Australia, and of course the tiger snake. Now in the suburbs of Perth, in the urban wetlands, tiger snakes thrive. But because they thrive, and because they're a pretty good predator, they eat a lot of things. And the problem is, when you're a predator, a top predator in their wetland environment, they end up eating a lot of different types of species. And all those different types of species, such as frogs or fish, have all been chewing other types of food in the environment as well. And they ate something else in turn. And that last thing, maybe a small bit of krill or an insect or a bug, that probably was exposed to some kind of chemical or heavy metal. The problem with the heavy metal concentration is, well, they're heavy. And whilst the fly mainly only had a little bit of an exposure to it, the frog a little bit more again, by the time it gets all the way up to the tiger snake, and the tiger snake ate a lot of frogs who ate a lot, a lot of flies, well, that concentration builds up all the way up the food chain. And we've spoken about this several times before. This concentration in predators can be pretty devastating. And with heavy metals in particular, such as arsenic, lead, mercury, or selenium, well, you can use these snakes as a way to see just how bad the exposure is in the environment because they get hit by the worst of it, acting as a concentrator. And again, urban environments as well also contain another form of concentrator because when you have a low spot, with a bit of parkland, maybe around a floodplain or some area where there's some wetlands. Then wetlands are normally situated at the lowest points in the landscape. So they got all the rainwater runoff. But that rainwater runoff also might include and bring with it 
all kinds of pollutants, not just from today, but long in the past, in the soil leaching out from all around the surrounding area. So, in general, a lot of urban runoff just ends up into a wetland. Even though the wetland itself may be protected and preserved, all the water rushing into it from the surrounding suburbs is not. And generally, when a wetland has been surrounded by an urban area for a long time, you get a higher and higher level of pollution in that wetland. Now, okay, it's true that you may find heavy metals from time to time naturally existing in a wetland as part of the sediment or the surrounding rock, but normally that's in a low concentration. Now that might leach out in the surrounding wetland environment, but that wouldn't explain the high concentrations of heavy metals that they found when they examined the snakes. Because the tiger snakes living in these wetlands, as we talked about, consume a lot of different prey, and all of those prey were loaded down with a lot of heavy metals in really high concentrations. Now, what they found in the snakes' livers and sediment samples suggest that urbanization and human-induced pollution were really the cause of these high concentrations of heavy metals. And in particular, they found the worst concentrations in Perth's most urbanized wetland, Herdman's Lake in the northwestern suburbs. Now, snakes tested from the Herdman's Lake had an incredibly high concentration of the metal molybdenum, the highest, in fact, ever reported in a terrestrial reptile in the world. And this only occurs if that snake had continuous chronic exposure to contaminants. Now, that doesn't just hurt snakes, it hurts the entire wildlife population, and also the population of the trees and the humans in the area as well, potentially leading to shorter lifespans, higher predation, and ultimately potentially even extinction of some local species, can cascading up and down the food chain of course impacts overall biodiversity and that is something to be wary of now the good news for a lake like Jundalup it's actually pretty well protected and has the lowest level of heavy metals and they also looked at other areas in Perth like Bibra Lake and Lake McNess in the different areas of national parks and the surrounding environment and what they found is that these tiger snakes are a pretty good measure of how healthy those wetlands are and so that top predator and dangerous snake can actually help indicate how well an environment is faring just by studying the amount of heavy metals concentrated in their liver. Now the important part to remember here is that this kind of concentration can be the runoffs, not from today's pollution, but years and years and years ago. And it just shows the challenges of cleaning up an environment and maintaining that cleanliness over a long period of time. This research is out of Curtin University in Western Australia and was published in the journal Archives of Environmental Contamination and Toxicology. Just how do you clean up a big industrial mess? And you've probably all seen pictures of a large oil spill with all of the oil slick spilling out onto the beach, coating birds, coating fish, coating all kinds of wildlife, people desperately trying to mop it up, clean it up and save the animals and also the environment. Now that's what has led researchers from Northwestern University to develop something that's bit more effective at cleaning, something that's able to suck up a lot of oil and is also 
pretty efficient to make. They've outlined this in the May edition of the journal Industrial Engineering and Chemical Research. One of the lead researchers was Vinyak Dravid. Now, what they developed was a type of sponge that's pretty cheap to produce and also very, very efficient. The good news about this type of sponge is that it can work without harming marine life. Now, the even better part is this sponge, like most sponges, are great at absorbing things much more times the original mass. In this instance, the sponge is able to absorb about 30 times its weight in oil. And after you squeeze the oil out of the sponge, just keep reusing the sponge over and over and over again. Pretty much like you would use a normal sponge for sucking up water. But in this case, it's actually great at sucking up oil. Now, Vinyak Dravid is a professor of material science and engineering. Has been working on this problem for some time, along with lead author on the paper, Vikas Nadwana. Now, the reason why oil spills are normally so difficult to clean up is that you have to go through a lot of complicated processes to separate out the oil from the water. And even if you manage to herd it all together, you still then need to take it off. Now, current solutions include burning the oil to try and to, once you've got it on a top layer, just burn it away, or use a chemical dispersant to try and break the oil from a large slick into small droplets. Maybe herded it and then you can skim it onto a, another type of uh, sealed container. Or you could try and absorb it using sorbents, which are typically unrecyclable. Now, that's great. All of these things do help at cleaning up the oil, but they all come with some cost. Obviously, burning is bad for carbon emissions and really bad for the wildlife. And sorbents are expensive, but they produce a huge amount of physical waste. Think about how you have a diaper and you put that into water. It soaks up a lot, but then it goes into landfill because you can't recycle it. Same problem. Skimmers, they don't quite work when the seas are rough or when you have a really thin layer of oil. This means you really need a new type of solution, and that's exactly what these researchers have been looking at. Now, the way they develop a sponge is it has a nanocomposite coating full of all kinds of magnetic nanostructures and a carbon-based substrate that is oleophilic, which means it attracts oil. But the other part is it's also hydrophobic, which means it resists water and it's magnetic. All of these things work together. The nanocomposite's nanoporous 3D structure helps it bind to a huge amount of oil molecules, capturing them until they're physically squeezed out. Now, the magnetic part of the structure gives it two important functions. You can move it around with a magnetic field, and you can help it to push out the oil from the sponge. Now, this is pretty amazing because you can make this sponge relatively cheaply by coating a commercially available sponge. They basically apply this thin layer of this special composite coating to a normal sponge and let it dry. And now you have this pretty good oil absorbing sponge, the OHM, Oilophobic Hydrophobic Magnetic Sponge. Now they tested this on a wide variety of crude oils of different densities and viscosity. And that's where it got its 30 times its weight in oil performance, leaving the water behind because it's hydrophobic. If you leave the water behind, it leaves you lean, you leave marine life behind as well. And even after a huge amount of shaking and reuse, the sponge released less than 1% of its absorbed oil back into the water. And that's good because they can make these quickly, they can make these cheaply, and they can make this slurry coating to help improve its performance. 
Now this is being working for oil spill, but there's other kinds of industrial waste and pollution that we could also absorb with a similar method. And that's what researchers like PhD candidate Stephanie Ribbett are looking at inside Dravid, Professor Dravid's laboratory. Because things like excess fertilizer in rainwater runoff and dissolved nutrients or phosphate, they can all lead to serious damage for marine environments. Just look at the Great Barrier Reef in North Queensland as an example. And that's where if you had a sponge that could absorb some of these dissolved nutrients, phosphates and fertilizer runoff, well, you could help reduce agricultural pollution in rainwater runoff and rivers flowing into marine environments. A cheap and easy way to help reduce that as well also just generally makes environmental cleanup a lot easier and safer. There's some great research that shows groundbreaking nanomaterial engineering helping solve big scale environmental problems and it's all published in the journal Industrial Engineering and Chemical Research. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From nano sponges cleaning up toxic waste to environmental dangers being detected by tiger snakes and dog companions, we find out great ways to help clean up and measure pollution in our environments. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.